number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day, a great week as we look forward to a great new year. It should be a year of peace and prosperity and uh, maybe even of collaboration among Americans of various dispositions and backgrounds and political orientations. There's a lot of work to do to uh, prevent a recession, uh, to help guarantee a victory over Russian aggression and tyranny in Europe, and maybe to help defend this country from the rising threat of a militant aggressive and, yes, imperialistic China. I will be speaking with Gordon Chang about Taiwan uh, suddenly taking some very significant steps about mandatory military service to help that small country uh, resist the world's most populous country in the case of a a brutal attack. We will get to that with uh, Gordon Chang, who has written about China and the threat of China and the threat of North Korea, which is also in the midst of uh, exchanging hostile words with uh, the South Korean regime. Uh, meanwhile, there is this here in the United States. I, I mentioned before this uh, lengthy article by Professor David Blight he, uh, he won the Pulitzer Prize for his fine biography of Frederick Douglass, and he's a great historian. But he compares the Civil War uh, and the lead-up to the Civil War to what we are going through now. He makes a very important point, and it is one very important point, it seems to me, which is that one of the aspects of that lead into war that made the Civil War ine inevitable, uh, that led... Uh, senator, he was then a U.S. senator, later Secretary of State, Senator William Henry Seward of New York uh, to speak on the Senate floor about an irrepressible conflict, a conflict that simply couldn't be repressed or silenced or stifled. And, and Lincoln, of course, and when he announced for the U.S. Senate, uh, quoted uh, the Bible and said a house divided against itself cannot stand, and he suggested he did not believe the house would fall, but it would uh, cease to be divided. In any event, one of the remnants of the old Civil War has to do with Confederate statues and images in prominent places, very few that still host Confederate uh, mementos uh, more than West Point. And part of the reason West Point displays that is because so many of the most famous Confederate generals and most effective Confederate generals were West Point graduates. They are people with a background in the U.S. Army, uh, like Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee also had served as a superintendent at West Point. He was one of the most brilliant members of the American military before... He left his country and uh, gave his sword and his life uh, for the Confederacy. Uh, this is a, a News Nation report on the beginning of a, a change in some decoration and memorials at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. Uh, listen. <laughs> 
A West Point Military Academy is using the holiday break to remove several Confederate monuments. Xavier Walton joins us live with more on the process and what will be removed from this historic school. And this really is just the first stage over the next year. West Point is going to remove or modify more than a dozen symbols that have some sort of tie uh, to the Confederacy. And that includes uh, taking down a portrait of General Robert E. Lee that is still up in the Academy's library. Uh, it's part of a directive coming down from the Department of Defense. Uh, this process, it started, like you mentioned, over the holiday break, and according to the Academy Superintendent, Lieutenant General Stephen Gilland. Uh, so two months later, here we are, the Academy has begun by removing uh, the portrait of Lee as well as stone bust, a stone bust of Lee. And, and you know, the Academy is also going to remove three bronze plaques uh, that include Lee and other Confederate figures, um, which include an image of a hooded figure uh, with the words, Ku Klux Klan written below. Uh, Lieutenant General Gilland, this is the superintendent of the academy, said, quote, uh, we will conduct these actions with dignity and respect. Now, since May of 2020, at least 230 symbols of the Confederacy have been removed or renamed uh, across the country. Okay, uh, and again, it, it could be more than 230. It's, it's been a process. And uh, <clears throat> the way that this is uh, reported by CBS News, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point is starting to remove Confederate statues and symbols from its campus in compliance with a federal order formally set in motion by the Department of Defense this past October. Uh, this is being supervised by a general in the Army who is also our Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin, who is black. Uh, and uh, again, the concern here is why would you honor at a place that is meant to inculcate uh, a new uh, core of officers and leaders for our military, uh, why would you want to honor people who had betrayed their oaths to the United States and fought to break up the United States? And uh, Again, it's very, very difficult to make a case. It's not difficult to make a case that Robert Lee was a, an outstandingly gifted warrior. He was. Uh, and that he had served his country well before he made the fateful decision not to accept President Lincoln's offer for a command of being the highest command possible for the federal army. And, uh, and by the way, and Lee was personally opposed to secession. It was a very close vote in the Virginia legislature, which most people don't recognize, that took Virginia out of the Union. And if that vote had gone the other way, if Virginia had decided to stay in the United States of America, not only is it likely that Lee would have fought on the other side in the Civil War, it's likely the entire war could not have could not have begun or at least been fought in the same way because Virginia was the most populous and the um, uh, the most powerful certainly the most formidable of all the 11 states in the Confederacy the um, West Point is removing a portrait of Lee a stone bust and a bronze triptych over the holiday break uh, the uh, bronze triptych includes an image of a hooded figure appearing with the words Ku Klux Klan. Why that is even there on the wall in, in West Point 
is truly bizarre. By the way, there's a, this new movie, we've reviewed it on the air, called Pale Blue Eye, which is based on a novel about a fictional murder at West Point back in the uh, 1830s. And, uh, and it shows as a uh, cadet at West Point, Edgar Allan Poe, who really was. He had served in our military. This is before he became an internationally famous poet and writer. Uh, but he had served uh, <laughs> with mixed success as a cadet and a future officer at West Point. The, um, both the portrait and the stone bust of Lee uh, will be placed in storage at the Academy, according to the General-in-Chief at the Academy, General Gilland, uh, while the bronze triptych would be stored as well until a more suitable location is determined for it. Well, what is a suitable location for this image of a hooded figure labeled Ku Klux Klan? What's not clear is whether the other figures are fighting against or with the person who is representing a Klansman. Speaking of against or with, Gordon Chang will be with us talking uh, about the current threat against Taiwan. Uh, he's the author of the great U.S.-China tech war and more. We'll be right back. Michael Medved. That phrase may sound shrill or alarmist, but it's not. It's the Michael Medved Show. There is so much going on in Asia at the moment, and almost none of it <laughs> encouraging. Uh, unless you're somehow in a macabre and destructive way actually rooting for a, a huge new outbreak of COVID in China. And uh, then meanwhile, Taiwan uh, taking some dramatic moves to extend military service, which is mandatory in Taiwan uh, for males. And... Uh, that military service extended to try to protect that island nation from potential attack by the Chinese. And what are the chances of a big new war in Asia in the new year 2023? No one better to ask about that than someone who's been writing about it, talking about it with great acuity and background than uh, Gordon G. Chang. You can reach him at Gordon G. Chang at Twitter. And uh, Gordon, uh, f first of all, what about this extension of mandatory military service to combat the threat from Beijing? Is this a serious development for the nation of Taiwan? Well, Happy New Year, Michael. And, and yes, it is serious. Um, President Tsai Ing-wen, actually, um, she led her party, the Democratic Progressive Party, to a general defeat in uh, elections last month. These were um, local elections, but they were across Taiwan. And she campaigned on uh, the China issue. And many people didn't like the idea of having a conscription extended from four months to a year. And so her party took a drubbing. Um, but this was the... Um, 
um, the maximum that she could get in terms of extension of conscription. It's a very good move. It's absolutely necessary. And I think we're going to see more moves along this line, especially as China becomes much more aggressive. And uh, what chance does Taiwan have of holding out significantly against China? This would not be like Russia versus Ukraine, would it? There are differences. Um, I think the Ukrainian spirit right now is a little bit more stout than it would be in Taiwan if they were invaded. Um, though it's not, it's, it's, you know, people did not expect the, the resistance in Ukraine. Um, so we don't know exactly what would happen in Taiwan. Uh, but it's a very different type of battlefield. Uh, China has to cross 110 miles of water to get to the main island of Taiwan. That's no easy feat. It would be a combined land, air, sea operation. China, in its history, and we're talking thousands and thousands of years, has never done something like that. And there are indications that the Chinese military is not as fearsome as it looks on paper. But nonetheless, it does have a great numerical advantage. I think Taiwan could hold out, um, though I think it's going to be a very difficult nip-and-tuck battle. And President Biden has already been very specific about offering support by the United States to defend Taiwan. Uh, surely the Taiwanese take some comfort in that. They have taken comfort in President Biden's statement, although this gets a little bit complicated, because on four occasions in uh, press interviews, Biden has explicitly said that the United States would defend Taiwan militarily. The last time he did this was to Scott Pelley's um, interview on 60 Minutes. But after each of those four occasions, his subordinates um, undercut his statements. And the most recent statement we have from the president is his comments at the G20 in Bali in Indonesia last month, where he said that there was no change in American policy, thereby undercutting his four press statements. But he also did say that the United States was clearly committed to keeping peace and security across the Taiwan Strait. And that's a good sign. And we have seen the administration move closer to Taiwan. So the relationship between Taipei and Washington is closer than it has been since um, 1979 when we broke off relations with Taipei. Okay. Uh, there's a Reuters story that is chilling. Uh, and it begins in more than three decades of emergency medicine. Beijing-based uh, Dr. Howard Bernstein said he's never seen anything like this. Patients are arriving at his hospital in ever-increasing numbers. Almost all are elderly, and many are very unwell with COVID and pneumonia symptoms. Uh, there appears to be uh, a huge increase in uh, illness and the outbreak and the impact of COVID in the place it originated, in China. Uh, is this make a Chinese uh, war aims more likely or less so? I think it's more likely, and the reason is that Xi Jinping has, provide, has presided over a debacle when it comes to COVID-19 in China. And now the Chinese people know it, and um, the disease is just ripping through the country. Now, Xi Jinping, if he, uh, if he wants to stay in power, um, you know, he, in October he got his president-breaking third term. Um, most people said that he was president for life. Um, but uh, he's lost a lot of influence recently, and we can see this in hints from Communist Party propaganda and also 
um, radical changes in policies. His policies are being repudiated, um, which means he must be losing influence. That means he knows that um, he can lose everything um, if this erosion in his support continues. He knows um, that um, life could be very difficult. So, yes, he has a lot of incentive to take us by surprise by trying to start a war one way or another to divert the attention of the Chinese people. And, in fact, China has become much more aggressive this month in India, in the Philippines, um, and certainly in Taiwan. So we've got to be concerned because we have an administration that is oblivious. Didn't they just uh, conduct uh, some military exercises where they violated Taiwanese airspace with about 100 uh, red Chinese planes? Referring to what happened on Christmas Day, um, 71 yeah, Chinese Merry aircraft Christmas. participated in this massive exercise, which is apparently a, uh, a drill for an invasion of Taiwan. Um, 47 of those craft actually crossed the median line, which is the de facto boundary between Taiwan and China. runs right down the Taiwan Strait for decades. Both sides um, acknowledged and respected it. China no longer does. Um, and so when Chinese planes cross the median line, it's a matter of great concern. And this was only one of a series of incidents this month. Um, so China is ramping up the pressure on Taiwan, um, and we don't know where this is going. I tend to think it's more huffing and puffing, but as I said, the Chinese can take us by surprise. Okay, there's much more. Gordon, can we take another segment of your time? Of course. Because uh, there's a Politico asks a very important question. Why the U.S. isn't ready for a fight in the Indo-Pacific? The South Korean military has also failed to shoot down five drones yesterday from North Korea. Uh, What is going on? What can we expect in the year ahead? More coming up on the Medved Show with Gordon Chang. He's at uh, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show a few precious minutes more with Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon is one of the leading thinkers, one of the leading experts on the threat from various East Asian nations, including, of course, North Korea. And most uh, spectacularly of all, the, uh, the government in China and Beijing, uh, the um, first of all, on, on the North Korea issue, uh, there there appears to be uh, from President Moon in South Korea, who had been a seemed to be a more resolute character when it came to confronting the threat of North Korea. They seem to be particularly spooked by North Korean drones. Uh, what is what is going on with South Korea? even apologizing at one point for its handling of the North Korean drones? Well, yesterday, um, North Korea sent five small drones over Seoul, Incheon, and surrounding areas. And and these are are very, very small vehicles. Um, And South Korea lacked the ability to shoot them down. 
Also, because they were over residential areas in many cases, um, South Korea felt that it couldn't try to um, even attack them for fear of causing damage on the ground. Um, so today, um, when it was announced by South Korea about this incursion, um, there was a lot of consternation in uh, South Korea because they realized that the North Korean drones really were just loitering around and uh, South Korea couldn't do anything. To put this in perspective, um, it's a little bit better than it would have been a couple of years ago, Michael, because a couple of years ago, South Korea would not have even seen the drones on their radars. So they have improved it to that respect in that respect. But right now, um, this is a huge embarrassment for South Korea. And it says a lot about the failure of the United States and South Korea to work more closely together. And uh, what what has to happen next? I mean, right now, you, you keep hearing things about other nations um, feeling increasingly desperate. Japan is doubling, literally, its military expenditures, which is very significant news. And do you have Taiwan extending the time of compulsory military service? With all of this getting ready, is the world asking the same question Politico has asked, is why the U.S. isn't ready for a fight in the Indo-Pacific? Uh, what do you think is the level of U.S. preparedness right now? I think that we could win a war with China, um, but we would take great casualties, um, World War II-level casualties. Um, because China um, does, you know, China has, in in some cases, better uh, weapons than we do. Supersonic cruise missiles and things that we have very few defenses against. But the problem for China is they've got uh, numerous problems, and one of them is that they've got a communist-style military, which means it's got two lines of reporting: a, a political one and a military one. And the political one is so much more important. So your commissar on a ship is senior to the captain. Um, but also because uh, China hasn't, uh, doesn't have a very long history of military success. Matter of fact, the last war it really fought was 1979, where its first string military took a shellacking from Vietnam's third string uh, in an incursion that China caused. Um, also, we have seen the Chinese military, the army, perform very poorly um, in the clashes in India. Um, now, the army is probably not very well prepared to fight, but that doesn't, we don't know about the Navy and Air Force, which would be the primary forces involved in a fight over Taiwan, for instance, uh, along with the space, um, their space assets. So right now, it, it is something that we don't know, but we are not as well prepared as we should be. And that's the fault of um, people whose last names are Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden, all of them. And uh, I, I assume you were encouraged by the, the bill that was passed and signed into law, the spending bill that sharply increased uh, American military spending, particularly, I think, for some of our vulnerable naval resources. That was a move in the right direction, no? That is a move in the right direction. Um, the problem is money, of course, but a greater problem is the mentality of our defense secretary plus the three and four stars in the Pentagon. Um, they, they just are not prepared to fight a war. Um, and I think the problem is... Um, one of leadership. Um, we have a seriously broken Navy. 
We have a seriously broken Air Force. The Army wouldn't be much involved in a war in the Pacific, though it would have some role. Um, the only thing we can say is that the Marine Corps is well prepared, um, but um, the real tragedy would be the Navy. Um, and and uh, <laughs> okay, so what uh, what needs to be done? The first thing that needs to be done is um, to have our Pentagon um, acknowledge that they might have to fight right away and to prepare themselves for the simple things of having enough weapons, of having survivable locations, of instilling that mentality throughout the services uh, and from top to bottom. Once you do that, then the other things sort themselves out relatively quickly. The other thing is there is still a feeling at the top levels of the Pentagon that if there's going to be a war, it'll be no earlier than 2027, probably in the middle of next decade. And so they're taking out platforms, ships and planes that we need today in order to pay for the weapons of tomorrow. I think that that is a seriously misguided strategy. We need to be able to fight today. And uh, the Chinese know it. They know what we're doing, purposely weakening ourselves. And I think that we need to have long conversations with the Secretary of the Navy and the Secretary of the Air Force because we have a general staff in those two branches that are doing things that are making ourselves less able to fight today. There is a, uh, at least a common belief that if uh, the war in Ukraine ends in anything less than a very clear-cut Ukrainian victory, that it would only encourage uh, aggressive intentions against China by against Taiwan. Uh, your take, Gordon G. Chang? I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, Xi Jinping is watching what's going on, and uh, although we don't, you know, we look at Ukraine as Ukraine in itself, um, the bad guys don't. And the best way to stop an invasion of Taiwan or Japan or India is to succeed in Ukraine. And by succeeding in Ukraine, it means removing Russian forces from Crimea and the Donbass. You were very critical of Presidents Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden. Uh, which leaders in the U.S. today uh, get it most close to right about the threat in the Indo-Pacific? I, I think that you have, uh, for instance, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer um, understands it. Um, I think that you have, um, among Republican senators, they get it as well. Um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi understands, though she's not going to be in position of speaker for very long. And I do hope that Mike Gallagher, who is slated to chair the Select Committee on China, um, I hope that he is, um, moves quickly. He understands the risks and the problems, but he has a, a task in front of him of trying to get bipartisan buy-in, and that will slow him down on a task which requires urgency. And concerning that urgency, it's it's interesting because uh, Mark Thiessen, a former speechwriter to President Bush, has uh, begun writing about Mike Gallagher as a serious candidate for the Republican nomination for president. Uh, so much appreciate uh, your your perspective in a very complicated situation. Uh, meanwhile, there is a uh, classic holiday song 
which is part of rallying the spirit of the Ukrainian people. How? Uh, we'll play it for you, and you'll see. Elna Medved Show, coming up. And on the Michael Medved Show, in this uh, short week between Christmas and New Year's, uh, Hanukkah, the uh, Hanukkah over last night. So the timing, timing all conspires very well. But there was a classic uh, Christmas song, uh, and it today has become a song of survival for Ukraine. Because uh, Ukraine's Shedrick uh, Children's Choir performed the Carol of the Bells at New York's Carnegie Hall, historic venue, of course. A hundred years ago, it was the same venue where the Ukrainian song, yes, and it is a Ukrainian song, Carol of the Bells, premiered. At uh, Carnegie Hall uh, last night, it sounded uh, like this. This classic song of the season. Today, a song of survival. Ukraine's Shedrick Children's Choir performing Carol of the Bells today at New York's Carnegie Hall. The holiday favorite, written by a Ukrainian composer, premiered here a century ago. It creates a kind of un, a bond that is hard to describe. You know, Leah Batstone spent more than two years helping arrange the group's visit. What is it to have that song sung at Carnegie Hall? It's incredible to think of the original version being sung with Ukrainian lyrics once again on the stage of Carnegie Hall. So it's my favorite Christmas carol and it comes from Ukraine. Carol of the Bells, its message of good tidings, now ever more meaningful for this chorus. And when you think about that song um, against what has been done to the Ukrainian civilian population, uh, millions of whom have already left, and I, I do believe many of them long to return to their country, and uh, may 2023 be not just uh, the year of peace, but the year of victory, uh, which the United States emphatically needs. Uh, Frank Luntz uh, actually uh, was on CNN and talking about the, the fact that Americans are not as divided on the issue of border security and immigration as many analysts make out. And Frank Luntz uh, had this to say, clip four. Democrats, independents, Republicans. If you start with securing the border, because you can't have a country if you cannot have secure borders and that national security, and then you step in and you give the dreamers the access, the pathway to earn citizenship, 
And the third aspect is to fix legal immigration because most Americans actually want legal immigration, legal immigration increased. Take those three steps, 79% support, including a supermajority of Republicans, independents, and Democrats. And I have a simple statement to Congress right now. Get your act together. The public expects you to fix this. They've been complaining about this now for more than a decade. Don't say the border is secure when it's not. Don't say this is a humane policy when it clearly isn't. And don't play games with human life. The idea that you turn this into a photo op is disgusting. We have a problem. We have a crisis. Fix it and stop playing around with mothers and fathers and particularly children. Okay, it's well said. And well said, it seems to me, on the whole idea of, oh, yeah, we're going to take a bunch of immigrants in the freezing cold and drop them off near the vice president's house. Right? Um, this doesn't help the country. Really doesn't. Uh, then uh, there is also the a CNN panel uh, taking a look at uh, the representative-elect George Santos. I, I think he has the all-time record of uh, creating more controversy than anyone else, even before he took a seat in Congress. Uh, here is what uh, that panel had to say on clip three. Okay, so this is from the New York Post about his religion. He says, I never claimed to be Jewish. I'm Catholic. Because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, I said I was Jew-ish. <laughs> That's, okay, there's, there's, there's that. I have another one for you. He says, um, also to the New York Post, I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I'm embarrassed and sorry for having embellished my resume. I own up to that. We do stupid things in life. Uh... He could resign. I mean, if he's really embarrassed, he should resign. I mean, that's what you would do if you're really embarrassed. You'd apologize and resign. Yeah, I guess. That's exactly right. He's going to come under real pressure to resign. And you're, you're, I think Nina might be right. A lot of these folks don't have any shame anymore. Okay, with the Republicans experiencing a four-vote uh, margin, and that's all they have, they're not going to pressure him to resign. I, I don't think. Uh, look, I think he has a whole lot of explaining to do, and there will be investigations, particularly about his financial disclosure issues. I'll tell you where there should be some investigations is how could they have spent so much money, uh, reported uh, close to $100 million on a lavish movie by a very gifted uh, director, uh, Damien Chazelle, and come up with Babylon. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. The prodigiously gifted writer-director Damien Chazelle, who previously did Whiplash and La La Land, now turns his attention to a decadent depiction of the silent era in old Hollywood, starring Margot Robbie as a would-be star in Babylon. Where do you say we come in for my close-up now? She has no idea what's next. I've never done nothing except disappoint people my whole life. But I made it on my terms, not theirs. 
And her rise is counterposed to the slow, sad fall of an established star played by Brad Pitt. Well, the Mexican actor Diego Calva plays a newcomer in town who watches both of them with a combination of admiration and horror. The movie runs for more than three hours, which may be an example of the kind of Tinseltown excess that it's trying unconvincingly to portray. Rated R for some very dark and drug-soaked sexual content. One and a half stars for the deeply disappointing would-be epic Babylon. And uh, on the Michael Medved show next time, uh, we'll take a look at a, a statement that's extraordinary by Jamie Raskin, a senior Democratic member of the House. Of course, he's one of the um, well-advertised voices, voices on the uh, January 6th committee. He now identifies a danger to democracy in the Electoral College. Really, the Electoral College, the one set up by the founders, the Constitutional Convention, and then revised uh, with the 12th Amendment. Amazing. And uh, then a farewell to a strange year with the highlights, including the White House proudly claiming that 10,000 million jobs had been created. Uh, academics groveled to China and identity politics ran rampant on all sides. There's also a story about a, um, a woman of faith who was arrested for praying. Why? Uh, she was praying silently outside an abortion clinic. Uh, there's also a threat of war, a real threat of war, Another war in Europe, this one involving Serbia and Kosovo. And uh, uh, there is much more concerned about the relationship with China and a big mystery. Why is California so happy? Really? Californians are happy? The, uh, the Hill has a piece saying they, uh, uh, most Californians enjoy their lifestyle and uh, a, a shocking report from Sweden. Uh, you know how so many people on the left admire the Scandinavian countries as examples of enlightenment and more. There is now uh, evidence that the Swedish medical establishment is seriously questioning some of the, the ideas of the medical establishment here that uh, somehow it's appropriate to treat people for transgender confirmation, gender confirmation treatment at a very young age. Plus, a uh, hate crime is punished by an assignment to write an essay while you're watching a film and reading a book. A good way to deal with hate? We will talk about that and much more next time. Coming up uh, Wednesday in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.